Man, it's so good to be here and to be worshiping with you. My name is Jesse. I'm from the Tapestry Marpole, your sister church. I heard some whoops. I love it. Uh, I'm here from Tapestry Marpole, just over the bridge. Uh, but it's so good to come back because this is where it all began, right? For me, anyways. I spent six months here interning, getting to know all the amazing staff and the congregation. Uh, it's good to get back to the mothership, right? It's good to be back here because I'm going to keep on that analogy. There's some extraterrestrial things happening uh, in the Tapestry Church Network. The way that we worshipped just now uh, was something of God. I think the, the Holy Spirit is doing something in our church. In every campus, in his own way, he is drawing us into uh, deep worship in ways that we haven't yet experienced. And that's exciting. Um, we're kicking off a new series. We're looking at the disciples of the Bible. And in this series, various pastors of the Tapestry Church get to share their testimony they get to share about how they identify with a particular disciple of Scripture. And so this morning, I'm going to be preaching out of John chapter 11. I want to talk about Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend, Lazarus. You know, Lazarus gets sick in chapter 11, and Lazarus dies. And I know you're wondering, like, wow, what, what do you have to do with Lazarus? Like, how do you, how do you relate to Lazarus? Well, I get to share with you my story. Uh, it's a story about uh, coming back to life. And hopefully about coming back to your life. Uh, a way in which God gives us a picture of resurrection and then moves and fulfills and performs a miracle. And then sends us forth from an empty tomb like Lazarus. And so I get to share my story with you in just a moment. But for starters, let's look at John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, that's a, a strange thing to say. Because at this point, nobody has suggested that Lazarus has a fatal illness. And so Jesus' comments about, you know, don't worry about it, this will not and in death, is a little alarming, I think, for those who are present with him, right? But do you know what Jesus is signifying by this statement? Jesus is letting us in on the mindset of resurrection. He's letting us in on the mindset of his Father's kingdom. See, he's showing us how kingdom people, how the followers of Jesus ought to think. So this morning, I want to talk about three things. The mindset, the miracle, and the move. Let's talk about the mindset first. Notice the way that Jesus interprets this situation. Jesus is speaking about one of his best friends who is very ill. And he's not afraid to let his mind wander into the what-ifs of Lazarus' situation. Even considering 
the worst possible outcome, that Lazarus is sick and that Lazarus should possibly die. Jesus is not afraid to let his mind go there. See, he's considering all the hypotheticals, all the worst negative outcomes, that Lazarus should pass away. And Jesus here exhibits a mindset that declares that even death can be reworked. Even death can be transformed for the glory of God and for the good purposes of his people. See, Jesus says that everything that happens to my people, everything that happens to those who carry a passport, who live in my kingdom, happens under my watchful eye. Nothing happens outside of my dominion. Nothing happens outside of my sovereignty and my goodness. And that should fill us with faith. This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, Jesus is saying, don't rush to conclusions. It's not what it looks like. Life may look out of control for you. Maybe you're hurting today. Maybe you don't know where to turn. I believe that Jesus this morning is saying, I want to show you another mindset, another way of looking at your situation. When all you can see is pain, let me show you how to see the potential. It's a different mindset, right? It's being not overwhelmed by the end result, but rather being undergirded, being strengthened by the resurrection. It's a different way of thinking. One more time, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. Now tell me if you believe this today, church. No, it's, see, it's for God's glory. This failed exam will not end in shame. It's for God's glory. This anxiety will not end in depression. No, it's for, it's for God's glory. This, this broken marriage will not end end in divorce. This layoff will not end in disgrace. This pregnancy will not end in disappointment. This breakup will not end in rejection. Everything works for his glory and for your good. It may not have originated from God, but everything is Mitigated by God. Everything is controlled. Everything has to pass through his loving hands to get to you. Because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And who have been called according to his purpose. Amen? Come on. See, we're told that Jesus stays where he is for two more days. Probably continuing to minister to people, to heal the sick. And then he says to his disciples, okay, let's, let's go back to Judea. It's evident, scripture tells us that he has learned of the situation. He has learned that Lazarus has passed. And he lets it be known to his disciples. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. 
But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. See, the Jewish belief at the time was that there would be an end time resurrection. And this is what Martha thinks that Jesus is referring to. A mindset, a belief, a a future hope. And, And Martha appreciates the resurrection mindset. Martha appreciates this future hope of resurrection. But what she is struggling with right now is that her brother has died. And Martha doesn't have time for for pat answers. She doesn't have time for for you know clichés and and hallmark sayings about how God will will come through. She's struggling. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've I've heard that before. It's like she's saying A future resurrection doesn't help me now. I need a resurrection miracle. This morning I want to share with you uh, my story in hopes that it encourages you to share your story, however messy and unresolved it may be, however not pretty and however painful. See, one reason that I can share my story is that I remember a certain day, about 11 years ago, like it was yesterday. And I want to give you a heads up. I want to make sure that, that, uh, that what I share doesn't like, trigger you in any way. I'm going to share some thoughts and, and some recollections of an experience that was traumatic for me, and that was hard to go through. And so uh, if you have an, a background uh, of, of trauma, maybe from a, a car accident, feel free to take five, take 10 minutes. But, but do come back, because the story does get better. I'm here, right? So the story does end well. It was a cold and winter morning, January 27th in 2008, and I jumped into my Jeep YJ to get to church on time. I'll be honest, I was running late. It was about 7.30 in the morning in Abbotsford, and I was working across town at a church called New Life. And I jumped in my Jeep, and I uh, did freeway speed, about 100 kilometers an hour. And I wasn't on the road for any more than about, I don't know, two minutes when I hit black ice. And I was traveling at 100 kilometers an hour eastbound, and then I found myself looking, never, I don't know what that would be, I can't even, (laughs) you you get the picture, I, I was going perpendicular to the road now, and I'm still going very fast. And then before you knew it, I was in the median, the grass median was flat, and my Jeep was sliding and then the wheels caught and dug in. And that Jeep went spinning and did some sort of sick gymnastics routine. And I was um, kind of, well, the, first the Jeep hardtop flew off. Um, the force and the violence of the turning and the flipping and tumbling ripped the, the Jeep top off. And I was sort of thrown and ragdolled but I wasn't thrown far enough, and, and that's really the problem. I think if I was ejected in such a way to clear the, ve- the vehicle altogether, I could have walked away with some broken bones. I remember hearing uh, my, this might be gratuitous, I don't think it is. I remember hearing my, my collarbones snapping and popping as I was rolling inside the vehicle. And then 
I wasn't fortunate enough to get further away from the vehicle as it landed. And I had a 3,000-pound Jeep land on top of me. And so there I lay. I can remember everything still so clear. See, when something like this happens to you, it's true what they say, that, that time seems to slow down. Look at that. This is a newspaper clipping from the time. The, the thing to the right is my roof, and the, the Jeep is there. And I was pinned under the Jeep somehow. And so there I lay. I can remember everything. And I remember in that moment thinking, wow, this is not how it was supposed to go. See, they say that the moments before you die, you, you think of all the precious moments and all the, the, the memories that you've had the joy of living. But that's not true, or at least in my case, that's not true. You know who you think about? You think about God. You think about God, you pray to God. And you wonder if you have what it takes to meet him because you know where you're going. You know that there's going to be an opportunity to meet him coming very soon. And I knew as much. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 to 5 says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. Now, I'll be honest, I wasn't thinking of this verse, okay, lying there in the cold, in the snow-covered ground, getting colder and colder. I wasn't thinking of Bible verses, but in actuality, I was staking my life on this verse. And miraculously, five off-duty firefighters watched my car slide off the road and roll into the median, and they leapt into action uh, four of them picked up, they cantilevered the Jeep, so they picked it up, and one of them pulled me out. I won't detail the damage that I sustained, but, but I was in trouble, medically speaking. The blunt trauma had crushed all my ribs and punctured one of my lungs, and I was bleeding out inside. And I was told later on that my heart took a pretty good thump. Uh, so much so to the point where paramedics on scene watched as my heart stopped beating. For the doctors here today, there may be some of you, CPR is a great thing. I'm a big fan of it. It had a lot to do with me being here. Now this is where the truth would, would appear to be stranger than fiction. The first responder, the first paramedic on scene recognized me. He knew me. He was a parishioner from my church. His name is Jim Heron. I've got a picture of him right here. Jim was going to New Life Church at the time. He was being dragged there by his wife. He wasn't a believer himself. Um, but he recognized me and knew me. He wasn't sure that God existed yet. He wasn't sure that he could have a relationship with him yet. And Jim says that when he saw my vitals dropping and he saw my, my heart stopping, it was the first time that he sincerely prayed to God. Jim prayed for a miracle. Jim prayed that I wouldn't die, that I would, that I would survive, and that I would recover my, my catastrophic injuries. Now Jim credits these moments when God heard his prayer in an ambulance on the side of the road in Abbotsford for instilling in him the gift of faith. 
and for, for bringing me back to life. I was flown by air ambulance to VGH, and I was sedated, and I spent uh, a solid week, some quality time in uh, ICU at VGH. And after multiple surgeries to stop the internal bleeding, last-ditch efforts, I was told, uh, the bleeding was stopped. I was in critical condition, but I was stable. Now, a significant part of all this was the prayers of a lot of amazing people in my life. They prayed around the clock and, and around the world, and, and months later, I went on Facebook just to kind of process what had happened, and it took me hours just to get through the messages and the prayers that people had sent me. See, prayer is a powerful and effective thing when faithful people do it. And I'm walking evidence of that. See, you can say that I was prayed back to life. Uh, later on in conversation with my mom, uh, months later, talking about the several surgeries that I had, I, I just wanted to get some clarity and some perspective. And I asked her, so, so there was a small chance that, that I would not make it through surgery. And my mom, without so much as a pause, said, she kind of laughed and she said, no, there was a small chance that you would make it through surgery. Church, don't doubt the power of prayer. There's a reason why Jesus prays Lazarus back to life, because prayer is the preface of every miracle. And the Bible says that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And so with a lot of love and a lot of prayer, I began to recover. Uh, I had a, a special visitor as well. My, my wife, my now wife, uh, Rochelle, <laughs> she was faithful in visiting me every day at VGH. Uh, we had only been dating about three months at the time, and it was like I couldn't get rid of her. She just kept coming. She kept coming. And she didn't have to. I was in rough shape, and it wasn't clear that I would make a full recovery, but she stood by me. And so I was discharged from the hospital in just under three weeks, if you can believe that, on Valentine's Day. How cute is that? <laughs> but there was still a lot of healing to do. There was a lot of physio, a lot of rehab. I made a near full recovery. I've, I feel good. I mean, I lost some vision in my right eye as a result of some of the internal swelling. But the healing that has transpired hasn't only been skin deep. You go through something like this and it, and it changes you. And God's been doing some things to change me through it. I returned to work at New Life, uh, to the church I was working at about three months later. And in retrospect, that was too soon. Uh, but something deeply inspire, inspiring happened on my first day back. Jim Heron, this man who was full of doubt, who didn't think it was even possible to believe in God, came to church on that same day, on my first day back, and he gave his life to God. And he was baptized on that day. Isn't that just what God does? He, see, that God could take my near-death experience and bring eternal life to another. Now that's a miracle. Let's talk about the miracle as we see it in John chapter 11. See, there are some of, of, of you here today who you're not interested as much in a mindset. You have a resurrection mindset. That means that you have hope for the future. You believe in God, but you need more. 
Perhaps you're in a place where you just need God's touch and you need him to shift something and move something in your life. You need a miracle. Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives in me or whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? After this, Martha runs back home and and gets her sister Mary, and Mary also runs to Jesus. She falls at his feet in grief, and she says the same thing that Martha said. She says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? See, there it is again, that that same question. It's asked three times of Jesus by Martha, Mary, and now here by the mourners. Couldn't you have prevented this from happening? This story does not tell us that that death is is just a blessing in disguise. Like if we just look behind the cloud, we'll see the silver lining. We'll see it's all for good. Not at all. See, this passage, this story does not tell us that. That would be trite. That would be cliche. See, when Jesus stands before the tomb of Lazarus, he's angry and he's weeping. That's how much Jesus hates death. It is repugnant to him. He can't stand it. But God, in the person of Jesus, dared to be where we are in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of all the questions that we have. Jesus walks into the fray with us. When he certainly could have stayed in comfort, he comes to us to secure our life and to deal with death once and for all on the cross. See, the miracle for those like myself who have experienced tragedy and death is, is not that, that we'll have better circumstances. The miracle is that Jesus is right here with us in these circumstances and what we're experiencing right now. The miracle is that in the totality of your life, nothing that happens to you is wasted. God got his hands On this and that, he is, see, the bad has to pass through his hands. See, he, everything that that, that comes to us does not originate from God, but, but God will mitigate it. God will make sure that it can be used, that it can be transformed for our good and for his glory. And the miracle is not that you were spared the pain but that God transformed it into something beautiful. See, the miracle is not that, that perhaps that, that your loved one didn't die or that your spouse didn't leave you or that you weren't laid off. It's that the miracle is that God worked that evil and that hurt and that pain for your betterment, for the good of you. That's where the miracle is. It's in how you come out of the grave, not in how you were spared from it, 
Some of us have been searching high and low for a miracle, but, but friends, I wonder if the Spirit of God is saying to us, child, you, you are the miracle. And now you need to move on it. Now you need to act like it. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for, for he has been there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Let's talk about the move. See, the move, Jesus says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. But he says something before this that, that many of us don't notice when we read this story. Verse 39, again, take away the stone. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. If we have a resurrection mindset and come to experience a resurrection miracle, it's incumbent on us to be in a position to move on the miracle that God has provided. Before Jesus beckons Lazarus out of the grave, he knows that the environment must change. He knows that something has to move. Jesus knows this, so Jesus says, take away the stone." Jesus says, move it. Move the stone in order for Lazarus to come out. And I, and I wonder if there's anyone here today who needs something in their life to move. There are some aspiring disciples of Jesus here today. Some of you have been beckoned. You've been called out from the grave, yet you cannot waste, or rather you cannot come out of it because your old life has a way of grabbing hold of you, holding you down. You've encountered Jesus. You know the resurrection and the life, but somehow you've settled to stay behind the stone. But the word of God says, take away the stone. Take it away. Take the heartache away. Take the temptation away. Take the pride away. Take the vanity away. Take, take the bitterness away. Take the anger and resentment, if that's what you're experiencing today. Lord, we pray, as a church, we pray, would you take it away? See, God has done a miracle in you, and now he's calling you to move on it. God has taken the stone away, and, and now you need to walk out of it. See, God has flung wide the gate, and now you need to walk through it. Church, the Spirit of God inquires. He asks of you. What has to leave in order for you to come back? What has to leave in order for you to come back to your life? What has to be laid down in order for you to be raised up? Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. We can read, come back to your life. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes 
and let him go. See, I love Jesus' last words. Do you love these words? Take off his grave clothes and let him go. See, the grave clothes don't, they don't fit Lazarus anymore. They don't suit him because he's outgrown them. He's alive. Let him go. Let her go. Let us go. Get those grave clothes off of you because it's time to go. There's a whole lot more of living to do once we see God move the stone. And we're being called out of the grave. We are resurrection people. And God wants us to start living that way. Amen? Don't let timidity, don't let fear keep you from realizing the spirit that God has given you. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. Do you know how much God wants to let you go? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how much he's cared and, and invested in crafting his plans and purposes for you? Let her go. Let him go. Are you ready to make a comeback today? Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, your word is transformative, especially, God, when your spirit plants us, plants it, rather, so deeply in us. God, we ask that the things that we have read about and heard about today, we would have the courage to enact, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of it as well. That's our prayer. God, if there are stones in the lives of the tapestry and its people that have not been rolled away, that have not been moved by the power of your spirit, God, move them. This is our prayer. And we pray it with faith and we pray it expectantly that you hear us and that you will act and that you will intercede and intervene on our behalf. God, as we continue to worship and song, would you fan into flame that which you have lit this morning? We pray all these things in your son's holy name. Amen.